Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Stephen LeDrew. He is the former president of the Liberal Party of Canada. He is a political commentator. He is the host of the three-minute interviews. You can find those on YouTube. Stephen, how are you today? Very well. Good to be on your show again, Scott. Thanks. Well, and I thank you for jumping in on late notice because we found out about this late today. Um, so all week or for two weeks now or whatever it is, we have heard the prime minister say there's really been no issue with Chinese meddling. There's nothing going on, uh, nothing to worry about. The election was fine. What changed all of a sudden that there's now this flurry of things that are apparently going to be done? Well, I mean, as you say, the flurry of things are some investigations. I think it's good that uh, these are occurring and that parliamentarians are uh, going to be involved in it. What has changed? We won't know, but I suspect that there's uh, something there that uh, was going to come out and Trudeau wanted to... um, to staunch the flow of blood, so to speak. And um, and when it comes out, he'll say, well, I had no idea about it. And we're taking care of it now. I think there was, um, there's been a lot of interest in this. And he has been, I think, soundly, Scott, soundly criticized for saying, well, any criticism is racist. That was not, that was not a wise choice of words. That no. one... That, that didn't go... Let me, let me play you a clip because there's a number of things I want to get into of some comments he made. This one, though, I found particularly interesting. This was right near the beginning of his statement today. Here, here's a line from it. In the last couple of weeks, Canadians have been hearing and reading a lot about the issue of attempted foreign interference, particularly from China, in our elections. All right. I don't know if you caught the word in there that was extra that um, changes the meaning of this a lot. He says attempted foreign interference. That's not at all what the reporting has been or what CSIS documents said. They said there was foreign interference. It wasn't attempted. It was it was happening. And he took issue with the uh, information from CSIS. He said, well, I have different information and the CSIS information is not accurate. So we're heading for a big showdown of this. Um, but from what I've read, from very good journalists have uh, come out, one of them, you know, Robert Fife of the Globe, Excellent. Is, you know, beyond reproach, um, there's something there. And uh, I think that uh, you know, Trudeau has uh, acknowledged that he has to deal with it, and he can't, uh, he can't stonewall. He can't just you know, put this under the carpet. He has to deal with it. And... Uh, and won't be tied anybody who is uh, implicated in this because uh, they're going to be cut loose from him faster than anything. And, and part of it, of course, is his own doing with his political, you know, his liberal MPs, his candidates, and also his fundraising. And there's been a lot of documentation, Scott, as you know, over the years of his pictures taken with many people in the uh, many very rich people in the Chinese community connected to uh, the government. Well, I always want to be careful because I don't want to slam the, you know, the Chinese people. We're talking about people connected to right. the communist government. This is, yeah, this is not all Asian people or all Chinese right. people we're talking about, right. not even remotely. No, no. And, right. and, and good for you for clarifying that. But it's, I mean, it's, it's clearly not that. It is, it is the, the Chinese government. I want, I want to mention otherwise uh, uh, two other things that he said that, again, um, really stood out to me in this. Um, one, well, let's just go to one of them. He yeah. was talking about what he was going to be doing and the steps that are going to be taking. And he said, that's what responsible leadership does to take steps to make this happen. And all I could think is, but didn't we just have the head of CSIS speak the other day saying that the prime minister or his office or his people were briefed on interference by foreign governments for a long time now, and nothing was done. How, how, how can you stand up and say this is what responsible leadership does when uh, it's been going on and nothing has been done? Scott, you, know, <laughs> you and I have spoken about this over the years. I mean, you can fool some of the people some of the time and on and on. I mean, he, I think, realized that the, uh, the jig is up on this one, and he is uh, hoping that everybody will forget about what he has said earlier over the years and uh, just recall what he says today and, uh, and move forward from that. And he's a master at that. You know that. He's a master at, at uh, ignoring what he has said earlier or ignoring the facts. Um, and you know, he, 
he has a very bad international reputation of being a bit of a liar. And, uh, but that doesn't bother him. He has no shame on that. He'll just say, oh, well, we're moving on. And, um, and the Canadians have uh, heretofore uh, bought that. Uh, for eight years, they've bought that from this prime minister. And that, uh, I think that, uh, I, well, let's just talk about the details. I think it's important that Parliament is involved. These are people who are elected from all parties. They know about politicians. They know about campaigns. And it's not going to be just a bunch of uh, lawyers or bureaucrats. But I think that's important. I think it's important that they report to Parliament. And um, I think that, uh, you know, the prime minister... As to why he did this today, there's going to be lots of speculation on the next day, Scott. I just think that it was the pressure was so intense that he said, I've got to do something about this. Do, do you believe, and just before we let you go here, do you believe, so th- there were... There were questions. I, I am not going to sit here and question uh, Justice R- uh, Rouleau for his report, whether we agree or disagree with all of it. The fact is, I, I do believe that he is an honorable man. Oh, that yeah. said, that said, I also believe that the that it was a wrong choice to choose someone who has worked for the Liberal Party before because of the perception that that gives off. And you know, it's it. There were there have to be a hundred thousand other bureaucrats or judges or whomever that could have been chosen that don't have direct ties to the Liberal Party who could have done that job. Do you believe? So again, not not questioning the report, questioning the choice of the person. Do you believe the person, the rapporteur who is going to be doing this, is, is the system built that this person will be truly independent? No, the system is not built. Um, and uh, just as far as you know, I agree with you. He is honorable. He is uh, and uh, impeccable uh, integrity. One of the issues is, of course, and that limits everything in Canada, Scott. They have to be bilingual. And so this person who they're going to be choosing uh, has to be bilingual. And that, that really, really limits uh, the field in something like this. I, I don't think that any one person um, should be dealing with this. But then on the other hand, you look at this, Scott, and it's just occurring to me right now, it's not just it's rapid fire as a shotgun. It's not just using one bullet or have an inquiry, that's the end of it. He's got all kinds of stuff going on here. You know, he's got the he's parliamentary committee. He's got a, a committee of, uh, of uh, experts. He's got this, uh, this one person who's going to be looking into it. So he has effectively muddied the waters so much that the average person is not going to know anything about it when they finally report. Mm. Well, all kinds of reports. We got to go. We got to let you go. The one, we never even got into it, and maybe another day, but uh, the one part of what he talked about that was that I really am concerned about, and maybe I shouldn't be, but where he talks about how they're going to be putting $5 million or something into fighting oh. disinformation. I look, I, I'm all for fighting disinformation, except when governments do it, I always worry who's deciding what is disinformation and what is not disinformation, and we'll see. And we'll see how that plays. Who's paying the press? Yeah, who's... Uh, and problem, Yeah, it's, it's... Look, there's a You're lot here. Very there's a lot here to chew on, uh, for sure. Stephen LeDrew, I, I, listen, I know you jumped in really late and you've got somewhere to go, but I really appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Always my pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. We all know that when COVID hit and everybody went home for a while from their offices, that, um, that things changed in downtowns, not just here in Hamilton, but all over the place. Downtowns in cities all over the world basically were affected by this, especially when at the end, when things started to get back to normal, a lot of people had become quite fond of working from home and said, well, why do I want to go back to the office? I don't really want to commute. I don't really want to have to get dressed every morning into like get all dressed up and make a lunch. I'm comfortable at home. I got a good setup. Well, that has led to some changes. Um, the city's economic development department has, says that our downtown vacancy rate right now is about 13%, give or take. There's another group that has said, well, no, really it's closer to 30. We, we, okay, so it's somewhere in there. Nonetheless, there, is, there are vacancies downtown in Hamilton. Question is, what should we do? What can we do with this? I want to bring in Judy Lum. She is with the Economic Development Department. She's the manager of Commercial Districts and Small Biz. Joins us now. Judy, thank you for this. Thank you. Glad to join. 
So one of the suggestions that a number of cities have thrown out there already is, you know what, if we have a bunch of vacant spots downtown, a bunch of vacant offices, and we have a a shortage of homes, of residential, which we certainly have here in Hamilton, maybe it's time to start allowing people to switch over those offices into residential and turning office buildings into condos or apartments. Uh, There's a bunch of different things here. Um, First of all, is that possible? Even if we think it's a good idea or a bad idea, within the rules of the city and zoning and everything else, is that something that somebody would be allowed to do in Hamilton? Yes, actually, they're allowed. So Hamilton is fortunate um, to be one of those cities that have zoning that permits residential uh, where these office buildings are. So um, an owner wouldn't have to go through that hurdle about rezoning that uh, building to residential. However, I think there's another issue that uh, would make it sometimes difficult to convert, and that's the construction costs that would be needed to convert that office to a residential Mm. uh, building. And the the buildings, we've talked to some, let's say the big towers, they were constructed as office towers. And therefore, you know, there's structural issues about how the layout was laid, the plumbing, the windows, you know, and um, even hallways that would be needed because if it's a wide open space, uh, in many buildings, it would be almost impossible or the cost would be prohibitive to convert it. And I think that would be the biggest hindrance about converting those big office towers to residential. Sure. And and I mean, it's not hard to understand what you're talking about. If you had an office and there was two bathrooms on a full floor or something, and now you've got 15, 16 units, you have to find the plumbing just as just for yep. the bathrooms. You have to find a way to, to change all that. That would be very expensive. Yeah, so uh, kitchens, bathrooms, yeah. and the hallways to to be able to access each unit. And so I know in, um, let's say, Calgary, which had a huge vacancy rate uh, because they're more, um, you know, they were so reliant on the energy sector. And when that crashed, they were left with so many um, empty office buildings. And I know I've heard about um, cities in the U.S. and the incentives that had to be created, you know, um, so prohibitive that I I don't even know if the pro forma would make it sense, even if you know they they could do it. So that's where I I think it's a challenge. Okay, so th- let's put that to one side. Although it's a certainly a huge point that that really matters here, but let's just put that to one side for just one second and look at a broader thing. Is would this be a good idea for Hamilton? And and the only reason I say because yeah, clearly we have a real shortage of residential. So on its face, you would say sure if we can make it work. But I wonder if, you know, pendulums swing back and forth at times. And yeah, it's really out of fashion perhaps right now for people to go to the office and leave home. But that could change. And if everything suddenly becomes residential, do we put ourselves in a position in 15 or 20 years when we say, oh, my goodness, whatever happened, we can't get people downtown again? Yes, I think, you know, vibrant downtowns is made up of many parts. That would be the office workers, the people who live downtown. And so... What I think we need to do is, yes, it's not an automatic, let's convert everything to residential. Luckily, we're we're having a lot of uh, residential projects in, in the core, which I think in the short term, uh, because we don't know what's going to happen with the office market, will they stay hybrid, will they stay remote, or someday they might all come back. We just don't know yet until companies determine what they're going to do. But what will help our commercial district, that's all the shops and the restaurants, in the meantime, is to have people living downtown and in our core, because then it's a 24-7 that people are there frequenting our commercial districts instead of it just being a nine to five. And so in the meantime, I think it is important to have residential, and but luckily we do have a lot of projects on the go. So, and, and the one thing to keep in mind is that uh, the taxes that are paid, like the value of those buildings as commercial, they pay higher taxes than residential, right? So if we all convert to residential, then that that could also hurt the city in terms of the services and everything that they could offer uh, because of the fact of commercial versus residential. So I do think that there's a, a place for office. And um, so 
I think the key actually is to make sure that the city promotes the quality of life, why people want to come downtown. So it's it's where it's live, work, and play. And so if we keep working on those, making it a great place to be, then eventually when it goes back to office, they'll want to go there because it's the exciting place to be instead of, oh, we're forced to come downtown. One other thing about this, and we only have a few seconds here, but with the zoning, can a building be both? Could could someone who owns an office building say, you know what, I've got, I'm going to make five floors of my office building residential and the rest offices and work it that way, or does it have to be one or the other? Well, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, the zoning talks about mixed use. I think at the moment, and I'm not a planner uh, by trade, so you know, I'd have to double check on that, but. We don't usually have, let's say, a live-work right in the same unit. Whether you do um, different floors, I I would have to check on that. But Mm. it's it's an interesting concept. Judy Lam, uh, she is the Manager of Commercial Districts and Small Business for the City of Hamilton. Really appreciate taking a few minutes today. Thanks for doing this. Okay, thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let me bring in Don Robertson, who um, is the owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys and ComChoice Realty. And, well, because he's the guy who runs the Dundas Real McCoys, he is the man who had a player on his team do something that, well, we believe, according to the Hockey Hall of Fame, has been done only once before in 1895 in competitive men's hockey. 14 points in a game for Brad Bonello. You, As coach, you must have just been doing an unbelievable job to help him get to those 14 points. Well, first of all, I played in that game when the guy got the 14 goals. <laughs> Not this one, the 1895. The 1895 yeah. one. It's the only game I've missed this year. I was in Florida enjoying a cocktail. <laughs> so the next game I went in, and Bonello's nickname is Bones, and I said, that was quite a night, and he said, what are you doing here? Yeah. I mean, please, if you're not here, I'll get another 14 Please points. go away, yeah. Because the next night you were back, you got one point. Yes. And zero the time before that. Yes. Mm-hmm. So he's, But he has led the league in scoring before, so being a point machine is not new to him. But 14 is outrageous. It, it is, and so is the number of goals we scored, and it's, it's not all that entertaining, and starts to get a little disappointing, and I did talk to him about it, and he said... Like, everything we shot in the third period went in. Like, it wasn't my fault. Like, you know, you like getting points, but you're not shooting for 15 or 14 or a world record, that's for sure. But it happens. and Well, and it helps when you're playing on a line with Darren Hadar, who's led the AHL in scoring at least a couple times yeah. and all-time playoff scoring leader in the AHL. and Hall of Famer. In Hall the of AHL. Famer. I think he holds the AHL uh, scoring record for two different teams. The Milwaukee and Chicago. Yeah. So, you know, when you've got a guy like that going and you're going, but still 14 points is, he had, this is the amazing part, he had 12 points all season going into this game. Now, it's only five games prior to that when he did this, but 12 games, 12 points and he gets 14 in one night. That's pretty good. It's it's certainly a great conversation and I know it's true because I read it in the spec. Uh, did did you send anything or did you tell him to send anything to the Hockey Hall of Fame? No, and had I have been there, I probably would have grabbed the puck or the stick or something like that because they do like those mementos. Uh, you know, I could have got a hold of Phil Pritchard and he'd have probably said, yeah, send that through. Or, you know, we're not a pro team, so we're not sending him his $300 stick and his pair of gloves. But, uh, yeah, some paraphernalia would have been nice. That, you know, it was, that, was, that was pretty remarkable. I mean, it was uh, – Look, it, it's not the NHL. We understand that, but it's not also me and you playing in a beer league. It's like it's it's still competitive hockey with guys who have played pro, as we say, Darren Hadar and that. It's 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 a it's a legitimate fourteen points. Yeah, we only have uh, out of everybody signed five guys that haven't played pro hockey to give you some idea mm-hmm. how good the hockey is. So. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not pickup hockey at the quad pad, that's for sure. No. Well, good for him. And uh, when do you, get, you guys won your first playoff games, when's your next one? We play this Friday night against the Hamilton Steelers. Mm, you were in the shirt. I don't, I don't know who you're cheering for, but you were in the shirt tonight. I got the Ham, I got the Hamilton Steelers shirt on. It was uh, it was uh, a gift. Mm-hmm. We'll see if you're still wearing that after the next game. I won't be cheering for them. I'll tell you that. No. Yeah. Uh, all right. Speaking of. Hockey, which is, you know, where we're going to spend a bit of time today. 
honestly, do you are you a guy who believes in curses? Do you believe that a franchise can be cursed? And I, I mean, I, I'm I, I'm saying this halfway joking, and on the other half, saying if you are a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs, there's a time when you have to honestly say, are we in fact cursed? Well, they didn't trade Babe Ruth, but they did get rid of Daryl Sittler and haven't had an awful lot of success since then, and Daryl Sittler is no Babe Ruth. Steve Milton at The Spectator, my colleague, he he believes it's the curse of Frank Mahovlich. Once they traded the big M, they never won again. It's as good an excuse as any, yeah. good as line as any. But yeah, I, I could, Milton would know or be able to pick that out, and I would agree I'd with that. He Steve. covered that game in 1895 that you were playing in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, I go back a long way, yes. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean it could be, but... You know, it's pretty mythical to actually believe that, as, I know. You, as you say, half joking. But when you can never win, I mean, they haven't win, haven't won the Stanley Cup with more than six teams in the league. They haven't been back to the finals with more than six teams in the league. Now, the interesting thing is, so the difference is now, you now have to win 12 games to get to the finals, and they only had to win four back. In 67. So it's, you're not talking about the same thing, but they went through an expansion era where they doubled the size of the league and they still couldn't get back to the finals. Of course, they couldn't get by the Montreal Canadiens either. So it's, there are some challenges and the Frank, Frank Mahoblich story is as good as any. It did bring, um, it did bring Paul Henderson, no, who was, a substantial Canadian hero with his scoring yeah, three, but he never was like that with the Leafs. That's that's not that's neither here nor there. But you just, as I say, I, I heard someone say the other day on on well yesterday after um, Ryan O'Reilly had his so okay so you you, you, yeah. you don't have anything go right for the longest time. You finally in the seventies get a pretty good team, but that's the time when the Montreal Canadiens have the greatest team of all time. So you run into them. Uh, then you've got Harold Ballard, which, you know, screws everything up. He trades and punch in black, trades everyone away. You finally get back to being good in the early 90s. And a non-call high stick to Wayne Gretzky probably kills your chances of going to the finals. And then you, as you say, you go into this swoon where you can't, doesn't matter who you trade for, whoever you trade for. They traded for... Um, Felino. Felino, And in his first or second game, wrecks his knee and gave up a first round pick. Should have been a dynamite player for them. Now Ryan O'Reilly gets hit in a fluky play in the in the hand with a puck. The same game that M- Matthews takes one in the knee. Um, you just sometimes people, I mean, people truly wonder, like, is this franchise somehow cursed? Listen, to get to the Stanley Cup finals, you need a lot of things going your way. You You need to be injury free. You need your goaler to win a game or two that you probably shouldn't win to frustrate the other team. But the injury-free stuff is really important. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I think it was the the battle it will be to get out of the East when six of the top eight teams, I think it is, are living in the East right now. And whoever comes out of the West has a lot better chance of coming through without being bruised and banged up. But it'll be, I mean, anybody that thinks the playoffs aren't a different animal, um, well, we played at Harry Hall Arena against Wentworth last Thursday night and had almost as penalty as many penalty minutes in that game as we did all season. Mm. And when the Stanley Cup starts going, there's a big price to be paid. And if you don't think that's true, th- then I think you're wrong because Tyle du- Dubas, all he did – is load up with sandpaper, guys that can handle it, Luke, Shen, McCabe, players like that that will handle the rough going, thrive on it a little bit, maybe slow the other teams forwards down a little bit because there's going to be a price to be paid in the corner. So coming out of the East is going to be a battle, and whoever comes out of the East will need that luck I referred to in not sustaining any injuries, whether it's a broken finger, a bruise. Bruised elbow, cracked oh, there's another ribs. One. There's another one. A couple of years ago, you know, in the first period of the first game against the Canadians, Tavares takes that fluky, weird hit, and he's out, and now your depth is gone. Yeah. And, and you know, some people even pointed out, and not making excuses for the Leafs, the Leafs have, have to answer the questions that they have left on the table. But with the team they've had, they've also happened to come along at a time when you've got a generational team like Tampa Bay that's in your way every year that, is fantastic. And now the Bruins having a 
sensational year. It, like the timing yeah. is awful. If they had been in the West or they had been in a different division, we may not be having this conversation right now. May not be. Well, the, maybe may not be. The year the Tampa Bay Lightning don't look like juggernauts in the East and probably the favorite to go to the finals. So they're having a less than Tampa Bay Lightning season. The Boston Bruins decide to be the best team in the NHL. Yeah, out of nowhere because they were on the downside. And I mean, Tampa Bay, even right now, they've lost five in a row. They've looked bad the last five games or six, five or six. Anyway, and people are saying, oh, look at this team. They're finally hitting the wall. You cannot tell me that when the playoffs roll around, that they will not figure it out and Vasilevsky will not stop pucks again and that this team is going to be an easy pushover. They're not going to be a five-game losing streak team. The, the Leafs, if they play them in the playoffs, which it looks almost certainly they will, are not going to sweep Tampa Bay. Well, unless they change the format, they, they won't be able to go lose five in a row. No, but I'm saying leading but, into the playoffs. Yeah. They're, not, they're not going to be and, rolling into the playoffs like and, this. And Tampa Bay, you're right, some teams are... They know how to win in the playoffs. They they've been there three years in a row, and to the finals three years yeah, in a row. They so they know how to do it. So a five game losing streak in February is not going to phase them. They're going to say, "Well, better now than later." Mm-hmm. And I don't follow them closely enough to know if they're cutting some ice time. Some of their veteran guys, you know, getting ready for the playoffs and resting guys. Well, they got a couple injuries. I mean, Hedman got hurt the other day, which is a big one. Yeah. If he if he's hurt, but he's well, as good as there is on defense and on national yeah. league. All right, so sticking with the Leafs for a second, you've been around hockey for a long, long time. Explain how it is that the Toronto Maple Leafs, the fourth place team in all of the NHL, cannot beat the absolute dregs of the league. They can play with every other team, and missing Tavares tomorrow and possibly Matthews and O'Reilly. I am absolutely convinced that they will probably give the New Jersey Devils a good game. I don't know if they'll win, but missing their star players, they'll probably do just fine. How can they not beat Montreal? How can they not beat San Jose? How can they not beat Anaheim? How can they not beat Vancouver? How can they never beat Arizona? How is this possible? Focus. That's it. Sure it is. And it's, and, and it's preparation by the coach to a certain extent. You um, you you have to come up with a strategy to make that game meaningful and have them play as hard as they're going to play against Boston or Tampa Bay, and that's one of the that's one of a coach's biggest challenges is having them mentally prepared to play because all they have to do against those teams is be mentally prepared. And of the of the teams that you just mentioned that they've lost to, and I don't know how Boston make out with them. Presumably they. Do rather well. They never lose. If they don't lose to anybody, no. But if Toronto had won half of those games that they lost, then they should win. If you mentioned uh, six teams, they should have won four of them, maybe five of them. They're ten points better in the standings. Then they're not fourth. No, they're second. Right. So that's which, why. Which is also another interesting question: Is it more impressive to you that the Leafs are? What's the question here? Is the fact that they are fourth place overall and losing to those bad teams? Is it more that they yeah, that they've given up all those points and they're still fourth? Is it more impressive that they're fourth despite giving away all those points or more depressing or disappointing that they just can't beat those teams? Well, I think it's disappointing for everybody. Now, if you're Kyle Dubas or Sheldon Keith, you're going to say, you know, everybody else can worry about us not beating um um, Arizona and Anaheim and San Jose this year, they can worry about that. We don't have to play those guys in the playoffs. We're just playing the good teams, and we can play well against them. I mean, that's when you're in that position, you look for spin. And one of the best spin masters I've ever met and had done business with is Will Waters when he was assistant GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he would start getting grilled with Pat Burns' teams that got to the semifinals. You know, they were always so close, and Wilbur come on and say, you know, we've won more playoff games than any any other team in the NHL over the last three years. And you go, wow, they're pretty good. Yeah, but you never made the finals. Yeah, but we've won more. So there's always a way to do the math to make it look a little better than it really is. Yeah, I, I think it's just, I think it's remarkable, quite honestly. And, and again, not taking, not, not letting them off the hook for the bad play against really bad teams. But it's remarkable they could be in fourth despite giving away all those points when all the other teams get those points. Yep. Yeah, I I don't know, and they and they struggle with Ottawa, but right now Ottawa's playing as well as the Leafs are. 
Well, that's a. I mean, that's one for the. So, depending on how this thing goes, there's still enough games left. If Tampa does continue to slide and Ottawa continues being red hot, and they've got Chicago tonight, they'll beat Chicago for sure. I would say it's not an absolute lockdown guarantee yet that Toronto couldn't play Ottawa in the first round of the playoffs. And the problem would be... Based on this conversation, that might not be a good thing. No, I was going to say, based on if that were to happen, Ottawa would have had to have been on the all-time heater to get there. I'm not sure you want to be playing a team like that that's riding that much of a hot streak when you're getting guys back, hopefully from injury and trying to work guys into the lineup. I'm not sure that Ottawa... This year, right now, if they were to keep this going, is the team you want to face. You're hoping Tampa Bay can hold on to that spot. What do you do? Call it a conundrum? Yeah, well, it would be a conundrum. Um, so really, we don't want to play the team that's been to the Stanley, or we don't want to we don't want to play a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in a decade. We want to play the team that's been to the Stanley Cup Finals the last three years in a row. Well, assuming Tampa continues. On the that, like that, Tampa would have to continue losing as they are for Ottawa to have a chance to catch them. They would have to go into a complete, not just a little five game or six game problem. They'd have to go into a complete swoon. Yeah. All the tires got to go flat. And then, if that's the case, as I say, I'm not sure that even if Ottawa could catch you, even with that, that that's a team you want to play. I mean, it's very likely Tampa wakes up and you know, I mean, they've got um, about 20 games left and they've got a. Uh, 11 point lead on Ottawa right now. They would basically have to, Ottawa would almost have to run the table and Tampa would almost have to go winless, which is unlikely. Well, there's, uh, if, if Ottawa have got um, 20 games left, there's 40 points there. So, right? If they win them all. Yeah. But what I'm saying is if Tampa wins eight of their. Yeah. Remaining 21 games or whatever it is, there's you know enough points probably just by that to put them in. The only way that that is even a consideration is if Ottawa have two or three games left with Tampa Bay and sweep those points because that kind of moves you closer in a real hurry. And if they play them even four times and they make up, you know, now you're making up four points right there, then the stretch isn't quite as difficult. But if they're done playing Tampa Bay, and and uh, so it'll get down to the schedule. Tampa likely don't care who they play. Well, it doesn't sound like it matters who they play right now. They can't beat anybody. But they will. They'll be They'll better. figure it out. Yeah, they'll figure it out. Don Robertson is with us, as he is on Mondays. And, Don, here is your – this question was brought is brought to me by Bubba O'Neill, our good friend Bubba from CHCH. Bubba and I were chatting last night, and this question came up, and I said – I am stealing that question and asking Don Roberts in this one on the show tomorrow. The We're talking about hockey still. The NHL draft, the NHL lottery, draft lottery is coming up. Generational player in Connor Bedard, who is the prize if you win the lottery. Right now, the Arizona Coyotes are six points out of last. Their chances of winning this is reasonably good. Not as good as finishing last, but, you know, give them time. They could get there. If the Arizona Coyotes were to win the draft lottery and have the rights to Connor Bedard. And trade Austin Matthews to Arizona. Would you, if you were Kyle Dubas and you still have a job at the end of the year, would you offer Austin Matthews, an Arizona guy, perfect to rebuild that franchise, local boy, star product to help with the marketing as well as the on-ice product, established 60-goal scorer, though he's having an off year this year. Would you offer Austin Matthews for Connor Bedard? So let me ask you a question back before I answer. Mm -hmm. If, in fact, I knew I could keep Austin Matthews locked up as long as I could Connor Bedard, even paying him what he's worth, but if I knew Austin Matthews would commit to me if I'm running the Toronto Maple Leafs for five years uh, because Bedard will come in on an entry-level contract you would add him to a pretty good hockey team at a million dollars a year. Would give you another ten million to go out and build people around. So financially, it's very prudent to do that. Uh, no, I keep Austin Matthews. See, I you don't know what you have in Connor Bedard. That's the huge risk here. 
that what you get, though, potentially is He's the as, size of my granddaughter. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you don't know what you have. He looks amazing in junior hockey, in uh, World Juniors, other places. He's looked like, I mean, his numbers are better in junior hockey than Connor McDavid's were at the same point. And what you get is you probably save for those first few years about $12 million a year in salary cap so you can keep other players who are going to want raises where you're probably going to have to cut bait with one or two guys if Austin Matthews resigns a big new $14, $15 million deal, which reportedly is what he and his people are after. But see, that's the key part of the question. Can you keep Matthews? And if you do, let's let's say for argument's sake, you wouldn't agree with me. You'd send uh, Austin Matthews to Arizona. I don't know. I, I'm no. I didn't say yes. I said it's it's really intriguing, though. No, I said if you would. If I would. So, so if you would, and I'm running the leaps, which there are some years I thought I probably should have been. Um, when you bring Connor Bedard in. It doesn't matter how good you are, unless you're Wayne Gretzky. Um, took Connor McDavid a couple of years to, you know, gain his footing. It took uh, Sid the Kid two or three years to find his footing, and the core of the Leafs are in their prime. So do you bring Connor Bedard in, and next thing you know, Austin Matthews is tw- or uh, Mitch Marner's twenty nine, Morgan Riley's thirty one. And some of your key guys, as good as Bedard is, he's not as good as he's going to be. And just about the time he's good enough, those guys are going to be leaving. And have you screwed up your chance to win a Stanley Cup? Yeah. And the other thing that, you know, you have to be cautious about is the comparisons to Connor McDavid are there because of the numbers. But he's not the same as Connor McDavid. Only because Connor McDavid right now can dominate in the NHL for a lot of reasons, but one of them being he is so much faster than everyone else. It's his speed, eh? That no one can keep up with him. Connor Bedard, that's not what separates him. It's other stuff. And you, I just, you wonder, I wonder, I think he'll be a good NHL player for sure, but you wonder if it's going to translate in the same way or if he's going to be Mitch Marner. And look, Mitch Marner is a terrific hockey player. Great analogy. But Mitch Marner is not Connor McDavid. I don't think, and I really like the way I like Marner's creativity. Um, He's not as tough as Doug Gilmore was, although he's a similar size. If he was, he'd be better. I don't think you can build a Stanley Cup champion around Mitch Marner. You need a stud center or a, a big, strong guy. And that's one of the things Connor McDavid has. Not only is he's, – he's a combination of two things, and there's a dramatic difference between these two things. He, he's fast, but he's quick, and he can go from zero to 100 miles an hour in the blink of an eye. And lots of big, strong guys that are fairly fast, they, they need two or three strides to get going. Connor McDavid just goes from stop to 100, like I'm telling you, so fast. And you can't defend against speed no matter who you are. I don't care how good a defenseman you are. When that guy's coming down on you, the speed he's got, it's almost impossible to defend against him. Mm -hmm. And Bedard doesn't possess that, and he doesn't possess the size. Now, the good news about O'Connor Bedard now is – there's it's you don't have to be that physical to play in the National Hockey League. You brought up Darren Hadar earlier, and Darren Hadar is not a big man by any stretch of the imagination – and in the NHL today, he could play, and he would be very successful. He's just about 10 years too late because the game has changed so much in the mm-hmm. last 10 years, right? <clears throat> By the time the game had changed, he was playing in Europe. But Bedard has that luxury of not having to get the snot pounded out of him on a regular basis. Now, the interesting thing is there's no Dave Semenko's or Marty McSorley's around to tune him up if he does, but... So it would be it would be the unknown. I mean, he could be a scoring champion and in the scoring race for seven or eight years straight after he gets going in the NHL, or he may not be. There's been a lot of guys come in with a lot of skill that don't even stick in the NHL. Now, he will. He's an exceptional talent. But you know what I mean? Lots of high-profile well, junior guys. You know what? You, as much as you say he will, and I think he will as well, but look at a guy like Alexander Daig 
who came in with huge numbers for the Ottawa Senators back when they started, and he never worked out. There are guys who it just never uh, – what's his name? The defenseman from Niagara Falls from Brantford. Brian, Brian Fogarty. Brian Fogarty. He was an okay player. He's a pretty good player, but never was what you thought he was going to be when he was coming out of junior. There um, could have been a lot of reasons for that. There were a variety of reasons for that, for sure. But uh, again, you look at – if you were Arizona's general manager and Kyle Dubas was on the phone to you, would you grab that trade before you even thought about it in that case? Because they've got money to spend on him. If Austin Matthews wanted $15 million a year, Arizona has the cap space. They can do that. Well, Arizona should do it because for sure he'd fill that 5,000-seat building they play in. Yeah, probably. probably. Right, and, that, and that's the other issue. If you look at the, the dollars and cents and, you know me, it's you can't figure it out, go back to the money. They don't need a guy to fill that building. They don't have they don't have a big building to fill. No, but they will eventually. The whole idea would be they're going to hope they presumably they're building a new facility. Do you want someone when Austin Matthews? Well, so two reasons. Yes, the problem is you can't just put a valve hose on those things and blow those buildings up in fifteen minutes. No, right. So, but what you could do is if you had Austin Matthews, if you brought him in, he would be a great catalyst when you start building your new building. And saying the kid that learned how to play hockey 15 minutes from the building we're building. Exactly. Is the hometown guy. So even if he's not in his prime when the building's up, he'll sell a lot of seats and a lot of suites. Yeah, and how many how, how many sweaters would you sell and, and other things? Like you would you would make a lot of money that you never could otherwise make if you're Arizona. Peripheral stuff. I would I would guess right now that Gary Bettman would tell him to make the trade. Because he is so bullish on Arizona. And he may be the only one on the planet, but he's bullish on Arizona. Yeah, and and I would I would suspect. And look, we're, we're blowing smoke because the the likelihood of someone like Dubas being willing to make a trade like that, or any general manager to trade an established superstar for a maybe, you're you are really then. I mean, if Kyle Dubas wasn't already dangling in the wind, uh, based on you know what his team might do in the playoffs, you are really putting yourself out there if you were to do this. But, you know, if there were caveats, maybe if you're Arizona and you say, yeah, we'll give you Bedard for Matthews. And if Arizona makes it to the second round or whatever, we get your first round pick the next year. I mean, who knows what? I I just, it was a really interesting question. Would you do it if you were the Leafs? Would you do it with your, if you're Arizona? I think you do it if you're Arizona in a second. In a second. And I don't think I answered the question, but I kind of answered it with a question. But I, 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 I don't think it would work because I don't think Bedard is going to be impactful day one. And he may not be impactful till after 700 days. That's true. And the flip side is if the Leafs don't win a playoff round this year, there may be big changes coming anyway. That that you may say, well, now we're going to need two or three more years to try and get back to competitiveness because we're going to have a bunch of guys moved out of here because they can't win. I mean, I, I, I think there's two or three players in the Leafs right off the bat that come to mind that if they don't win a playoff round this year are going to be talked about as they're not winners and do we really want them here? I think the biggest challenge the Toronto Maple Leafs have going going into the playoffs today is goaltending because there is nobody outside of Detroit 15 years ago that wins the Stanley Cup without outstanding goaltending. And I don't think the Leafs have anybody that have proven well, they, no, they've got the a last, guy who's proven in the last decade yeah. that he can do that. Yeah, they Matt do. Martin. Matt, yeah, Martin has has done it. Yeah. Or Murray. Matt Murray. Uh, Matt Murray has has proven it. The question is, can How he long stay healthy? Not that long ago, but can he stay healthy long enough to go on a playoff run? That's your problem. Yeah. He made some saves in Vancouver after just he coming did. back. That you say, wow, if he were to play like that and his team were to give him some help, yeah, you'd be fine. But yeah. the question is, every time he pushes across to make a save, you go, oh. Someone yeah. might want to check on his groin. I think that's it dangling on the ice. <laughs> on the weekend, the Memphis Grizzlies star player, John Morant, uh, got himself in some trouble because on in his live Instagram post, he showed himself in a nightclub uh, brandishing. There's a word you only hear with a gun. No one ever has, no one ever has ever brandished a loaf of bread. Or you only brandish a weapon, but he was brandishing a handgun in this nightclub, and now his team suspended him for a couple of games, and he's not going to be back for a little while. 
And most people, I think, were in agreement with this, saying, you know, you're a star athlete. If you need security, you're making $20, $30 million a year. If you need security, hire security. Don't be running around waving around a gun because it's only going to get you in trouble. It's only going to lead to bad things. So most people, I think, were in agreement with him being away from the team for a while and being punished for this. However, the coach of the team then says, we love him. We want what's best for him. We support him. It's going to be a difficult process, but we've got a great group to get through this. It's an ongoing healing process. I heard that and I went, do we do we just cave to athletes, to professional athletes, to star athletes too easily? Like to anyone else does this, no one's saying, oh, well, Don, you, you know, you waved a gun around in a busy nightclub while you were dancing, but we're going to here to help you with your healing process. Instead, we're saying you're an idiot. You deserve what comes to you and don't do this again. How do we turn an athlete's misbehavior into him being the victim who needs healing? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, if you're an athlete of his stat or any athlete and you're waving a gun around, um, I'm not sure two games cures anything. I'm not sure two two games effectively does much for you. Um, I'm pretty old fashioned, but there was a time if a premier athlete was out in a nightclub drinking and dancing, he could have got suspended by his team for doing that. Now you apparently you have to have a gun, and if you do, you're going to miss two games. Like, we're making you pay a severe price here. Are they unpaid games? Or he just has to be away from the team? Because I'm thinking if you're wandering around with a gun in a nightclub and think you need it, and I don't imagine they were just serving tea at the nightclub, um... And probably you weren't the only guy in the joint with a gun. Um, that's a good way to get shot, for one thing. It's, but a, I don't it's think... a good way for something really bad to happen, whether to you or by you. It's a really good way for something horrible to happen. Now, in the NFL, it's more acceptable to do that. He perhaps would have just had a talking to and the healing would have taken five minutes. Oh, see, now I'm not even sure about that. I'm not even sure about that. The NFL has had some absolute whiffs with suspensions of guys that weren't hit hard enough. But then when public killed people, uh, oh, I know, but, and they got away with it and they came back. But, you know, someone like Ray Lewis, remember when he was, you know, at the scene, whether he was, we wouldn't even know, but a lot of speculation when he was at the scene or involved somehow at the situation, he's back. He's in the hall of fame. He's a star. This is kind of what I'm pointing to though, is that we seem to, forgive misbehavior and this is not new i mean i look i'm not no. i'm not just stumbling on this now but it seems that we are willing to forgive misbehavior of athletes the same i suppose that we are with stars you know it's it's amazing to me that a certain word spoken by a star will get you excommunicated from hollywood or kicked out of sports but you wave a gun around or you do something you get involved and we'll give you a second chance Heaven, heaven forbid you take the knee. Well, Kaepernick yeah, never yeah. played another game in the NFL. Took a knee during the national anthem. Now, the Americans are a proud group, as are we. But up here, I don't think it would have been looked upon like it was down there. We would have respected his right to make a statement. Down there, wow. But he didn't wave a gun. He didn't point a gun at anybody. He wasn't in a nightclub doing anything. So there's different causes, but the the thing I'll go back to is, is it's going to be a healing process. I I'd like to be in on that meeting to see how that goes. It's just it, to me, all that does is take the response. Now, even though John Morant said that he takes responsibility, that comment takes all the responsibility away from him. He's now a victim of something for which he has to be healed. And this gun was just a, a, a symptom, I guess. Him pulling out a gun and dancing and waving around was just a, a symptom of the ailment that was facing him. And you know what? Look, I, I don't I don't know what his background is. I don't know what his growing up was like. I don't know what his environment was. Those he may have I don't know all of it. I mean, it may have been a really rough, difficult childhood. 
But I still don't know how you say pulling out a gun in a nightclub requires you to undergo a healing process to get better. You are at fault. Well, he's never going to be on a Wheaties box now, that's for sure. You know what? I bet there, well, I don't know. I was going to say, I bet there's some people who this has made him more of a legend. Yeah. Uh, which, again, I just, uh, it, it just is weird to me that, that, and again, it's not new. I'm not pretending to just understand this now, but it's just weird that if you are famous or beloved for a particular thing you can do as an athlete or as an artist, stuff that would get you and I fired instantly from our jobs, instantly, is now the other way around where this person needs to be healed. He needs time to heal. It would have been, thank goodness he didn't fire the gun or someone else would have needed time to heal. Right? I mean, it's honestly, it's just, it's amazing to me that somehow this gets spun around so that he's he's, the victim. He's the victim somehow in this now. Yeah. Well, if somebody hadn't taken his picture, nobody would have known. He took his picture. It was on his Instagram account. I thought you said it was on an Instagram. No, it was was on on his own? It was on his own Instagram account. Then he needs healing. He needs healing because he's, yeah, he needs healing from Instagram. Yeah. He's, that's, that's a kind way to put it. So he put the picture, he posted the picture It was picture a live himself. feed. Yeah, it was a live feed. He's showing, you know, himself partying and, you know, waving a gun or something. I mean, it just, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now, I'm, not, not, I'm not sure 15 minutes is going to fix that. I, I just, you know what? I don't know that he needs healing. I think he needs like some some brain cells injected into his head or something. Like how, how dumb do you have to be honestly to do this? And I don't care if it's NHL, NFL, NBA, major league baseball, whatever. Like you're a, you're a known person in a public place pulling out a gun away. How do you not think this is a problem? I, I don't have enough insurance to tell you what I think. No, I just, it, <laughs> it's, it doesn't matter who any, if it was Connor McDavid. Yeah. If it was, whomever, how do you not think this is a bad idea? And how do you become then the victim? That's Don. Thanks for coming in. Thanks Scott. The Scott Radley show. Weekday evenings from six to eight on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley show podcast is available on Apple podcast, Google podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening. And do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.